Section 1 of the Roswell Report, Case Closed, by James McAndrew. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Aaron Bennett. The Roswell Report, Case Closed, by James McAndrew. Flying saucer crashes and alien bodies, the crash sites, scenarios, and research methods. Section 1. Flying saucer crashes and alien bodies. The most puzzling and intriguing element of the complex series of events now known as the Roswell incident are the alleged sightings of alien bodies. The bodies turn what, for many years, was just another flying saucer story into what many UFO proponents claim is the best case for extraterrestrial visitation of Earth. The importance of bodies and the assumptions made as to their origin is illustrated in a passage from a popular Roswell book. Crashed saucers are one thing and could well turn out to be futuristic American or even foreign aircraft or missiles, but alien bodies are another matter entirely and hardly subject to misinterpretation. The 1994 Air Force report determined that Project Mogul was responsible for the 1947 events. Mogul was an experimental attempt to acoustically detect suspected Soviet nuclear weapon explosions and ballistic missile launches. Mogul utilized acoustical sensors, radar reflecting targets, and other devices attached to a train of weather balloons over 600 feet long. Claims that the U.S. Army Air Forces recovered a flying disc in 1947 were based primarily on the lack of identification of the radar targets, an element of weather equipment used on the Long Mogul balloon train. The oddly constructed radar targets were found by a New Mexico rancher during the height of the first U.S. flying saucer wave in 1947. The rancher brought the remnants of the balloons and radar targets to the local sheriff after he allegedly learned of the broadcast reports of flying disks. However, following some initial confusion at Roswell Army Airfield, the flying disk was soon identified by Army Air Forces officials as a standard radar target. From 1947 until the late 1970s, the Roswell incident was essentially a non-story. The reports that existed contain only descriptions of mundane materials that originated from the Project Mogul balloon train. Tinfoil, paper, tape, rubber, and sticks. The first claim of bodies appeared in the late 1970s, with additional claims made during the 1980s and 1990s. These claims were usually based on anecdotal accounts of second- and third-hand witnesses collected by UFO proponents as much as 40 years after the alleged incident. The same anecdotal accounts that referred to bodies also described massive field operations conducted by the U.S. military to recover crash debris from a supposed extraterrestrial spaceship a technique used by some UFO authors to collect anecdotal corroboration for their theories was to solicit cooperating witnesses through newspaper announcements. For example, one such solicitation appeared in the Socorro, New Mexico Defensor Chieftain on November 4, 1992 on behalf of Don Berliner and Stanton T. Friedman, the authors of the book Crash at Corona. 
This request solicited persons to provide information about the supposed crashes of alien spacecraft in the Socorro area. Footnote, Socorro, New Mexico is situated at the northwest boundary of White Sands Missile Range, the largest military test range in the United States. Since the 1940s, White Sands and the surrounding areas of New Mexico have been the site of a high volume of military test and evaluation activity, including the launch and recovery of anthropomorphic dummies carried aloft by high-altitude balloons. In response to the newspaper announcement, two scientists central to the actual explanation of the Roswell events, Professor Charles B. Moore, a former U.S. Army Air Force's contract engineer, and Bernard D. Gildenberg, retired Holloman Air Force Base Balloon Branch Physical Science Administrator and Meteorologist, came forward with pertinent information. According to Moore and Gildenberg, when they met with the authors, their explanations that some of the Air Force projects they participated in were most likely responsible for the incident, they were summarily dismissed. The authors even went so far as to suggest that these distinguished scientists were participants in a multifaceted government cover-up to conceal the truth about the Roswell incident. Since many of the Roswell accounts and allegations were collected by irregular methods and are not specifically documented, the series of events as alleged by UFO theorists has become very complex and requires clarification. Therefore, the following section will briefly examine some of the more confusing elements of the Roswell stories, specifically the multiple crash sites and complex scenarios in order to facilitate an objective analysis of actual events. Section 1.1 The Crash Sites, Scenarios, and Research Methods The Crash Sites From 1947 until the late 1970s, the Roswell incident was confined to one alleged crash site. This site, located on the Foster Ranch approximately 75 miles northwest of the city of Roswell, was the actual landing site of a Project Mogul balloon train in June 1947. The Mogul landing site is referred to in popular Roswell literature as the Debris Field. In the 1970s, the 1980s, and throughout the 1990s, Additional witnesses came forward with claims and descriptions of two other alleged crash sites. One of these sites was supposedly north of Roswell. The other site was alleged to have been approximately 175 miles northwest of Roswell in an area of New Mexico known as the San Augustine Plains. What distinguished the two crash sites from the original debris field were accounts of alien bodies. The Scenarios UFO enthusiasts have attempted to explain the obvious contradiction of multiple impact sites involving only one alien aircraft through the introduction of complicated scenarios. These scenarios have become increasingly convoluted since the proponents of each crash site must make allowances to have their flying saucer at the correct time and place, the actual mogul balloon train landing site in early July 1947, in order to fit with the rest of the story, the actual Project Mogul landing site, 75 miles northwest of Roswell, lends credibility and more importantly establishes a time frame for the other accounts that include reports of bodies. Flying saucer enthusiasts use the documented presence of U.S. Army Air Forces personnel at the Mogul site in July 1947 
who were there to retrieve the Mogul balloon train to provide the nucleus of unrelated and much later accounts that include reports of bodies. It must be emphasized that the claims of bodies only became part of the Roswell incident after 1978 when they were erroneously linked to the July 1947 retrieval of Project Mogul components. In general, Roswell incident scenarios claim that a disabled alien craft momentarily touched down at the site 75 miles northwest of Roswell, leaving behind parts of the spaceship, material that has been subsequently identified as components of a mogul balloon train, to create the original debris field. The scenarios further contend that the damaged craft again became airborne and flew to its final crash site at either the location north of Roswell or 175 miles northwest of Roswell on the San Augustine Plains. Regardless of the dispute over the location, an element common to most scenarios was that, once recovered, the bodies were supposedly transported to the hospital at Roswell Army Airfield for autopsy. Also common to these theories was that the bodies were later shipped from Roswell Army Airfield to another facility usually Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Ohio, or a host of other facilities, this is another area of further disagreement among UFO theorists, for further evaluation and ultimate deep freeze storage. Research Methods In an attempt to untangle this collection of complicated assertions and determine if there was any validity to the reports of bodies, Air Force researchers faced the task of sorting through and examining anecdotal testimony of hundreds of witnesses. However, a large number of the accounts were eliminated by applying previously established facts to the testimonies. The July 1994 report to the Secretary of the Air Force clearly presented and documented these facts. A. The U.S. Army Air Forces did not recover an extraterrestrial vehicle and alien crew. This conclusion was based on extensive research that included a thorough review of both classified and unclassified materials at record depositories, archives, libraries, and research facilities throughout the nation. Of the millions of pages of material reviewed, there was no mention of any activities that even tangentially suggested such an event. Additionally, Former and retired Air Force members and civilian contract scientists were located and released from any possible non-disclosure agreements they may have entered into regarding past classified activities. This release allowed them to freely discuss with Air Force researchers or any other persons information related to this issue. These releases were issued at the express written direction of the Secretary of the Air Force. Interviews with these persons yielded no information supporting extraterrestrial claims or any other unusual activities. B. The reports of bodies were not associated with Project Mogul. The Mogul balloon train did not, was not designed to, nor could it carry passengers. Neither did it carry hazardous materials that would have caused injury, death, or mutilation to persons who may have come in contact with any of its components. C. Actual events, if any, that inspired reports of bodies did not occur in 1947. Based on extensive examinations of U.S. Army Air Force's activities in 1947, 
No evidence was found to support allegations that the Army Air Forces was involved in any uncommon operations other than the retrieval of the Mogul balloon train in the Roswell area in July 1947. Examination of research and development projects, aircraft crashes, errant missiles, and possible nuclear accidents yielded no information to support a 1947 claim. In light of these documented facts, the hundreds of anecdotal accounts were reduced to a few. Eliminated were accounts that were likely descriptions of materials known to be part of the Project Mogul balloon train and accounts describing transportation of these materials. From the remaining testimony, Air Force researchers developed the following set of working hypotheses to assist in identifying the actual events, if any, matching those described by the witnesses. A. Due to the number and great detail provided in some of the accounts, it was likely that some events actually did occur. B. Due to the many similarities of the two crash site descriptions and the considerable distance between them, it was likely that more than one event with similar characteristics was the basis for these accounts. C. Since the account of bodies at the Roswell Army Airfield Hospital did not contain elements similar to reports of the two crash sites, it was likely that this account was unrelated to the crash site accounts. The hospital account will be addressed separately in Section 2 of this report. The remaining testimony was examined with regard both to the facts and to working hypotheses to determine if there were common threads or links connecting any of the accounts. If similarities were found, the next step was to determine if they were related to an actual event. Finally, if there were actual events, were they part of U.S. Air Force or U.S. government activities? Common Threads Careful examination of the testimony revealed that primary witnesses of the two crashed saucer locations contained descriptions common to both. These areas of commonality contain both general and detailed characteristics. However, before continuing, the accounts were carefully examined to determine if the testimony related by individual witnesses were of their own experiences and not a recitation of information given by other persons. While many aspects of the remaining accounts were judged to be similar, other aspects were found to be significantly different. The accounts on which the analysis is based were determined, in all likelihood, to have been independently obtained or observed by the witnesses. General Similarities the testimony presented for both crash sites generally followed the same sequence of events. The witnesses were in a rural and isolated area of New Mexico. In the course of their travels in this area, they came upon a crashed aerial vehicle. The witnesses then proceeded to the area of the crash to investigate, and at some distance they observed strange-looking beings that appeared to be crew members of the vehicle. Soon thereafter, a convoy of military vehicles and soldiers arrived at the site. Military personnel allegedly instructed the civilians to leave the area and forget what they had seen. As the witnesses left the area, the military personnel commenced with a recovery operation of the crashed aerial vehicle and crew. Detailed Similarities Along with general similarities in the testimonies, there also existed a substantial amount of similar detailed descriptions of the aliens and the military vehicles and procedures allegedly used to recover them. 
The first obvious similarity was the descriptions of the aliens. Mr. Gerald Anderson, an alleged witness of events at the site 175 miles northwest of Roswell, recalled, I thought they were plastic dolls. Mr. James Ragsdale, an alleged witness of the site north of Roswell, stated, They were using dummies in those damn things. Another alleged witness to a crash north of Roswell, Frank J. Kaufman, recalled that there was talk that perhaps an experimental plane with dummies in it was the source of the claims. Additional similarities were also noted. Mr. Vern Maltese, a second-hand witness of the site 175 miles northwest of Roswell, described the hands of the aliens as they had four fingers. Anderson characterized the hands as they didn't have a little finger. He also described the heads of the aliens as completely bald, while Maltese described them as hairless. The uniforms of the aliens were independently described by Anderson as one-piece suits, a shiny silverish-gray color, and by Maltese as one-piece and gray in color. The date of this event was also not precisely known. Maltese recalled that it may have occurred around 1950, and another second-hand witness, Alice Knight, stated, I don't recall the date. Witnesses of different sites also used the terms wrecker and 6x6 when they described the military vehicles present at the different recovery sites. One witness described seeing a medium-sized Jeep truck, and another witness described seeing a weapons carrier. A weapons carrier is a mid-sized Jeep-type truck. The Research Profile When the general and specific similarities were combined, a profile emerged describing the event or activity that might have been observed. The profile, which contains elements common to at least two, and in some cases all of the accounts, established a set of criteria used to determine what witnesses may have observed. The profile is as follows. A. An activity that if viewed from a distance would appear unusual. B. An activity of which the exact date is not known. C. An activity that took place in two rural areas of New Mexico. D. An activity that involved a type of aerial vehicle with dolls or dummies that had four fingers, were bald, and wore one-piece gray suits. E. An activity that required recovery by numerous military personnel and an assortment of vehicles that included a wrecker, a 6x6, and a weapons carrier. Based on this profile, research was begun to identify events or activities with these characteristics. Due to the location of the sites, attention was focused on Roswell Army Airfield, renamed Walker Air Force Base in 1948. White Sands Missile Range and Holloman Air Force Base, New Mexico. The aerial vehicles assigned or under development at these facilities were aircraft, missiles, remotely piloted drones, and high-altitude balloons. The operational characteristics and areas where these vehicles flew were researched to determine if they played a role in the events described by the witnesses. Missiles and Drones Missiles and drones were determined not to have been responsible for the accounts. The areas where the alleged crashes took place were, in all likelihood, too far from the White Sands Missile Range. 
Missiles were equipped with a self-destruct mechanism that was activated if it strayed off course or out of the White Sands missile range. There was never a program that required a dummy or doll to be placed inside a missile or a drone. However, missiles were launched from White Sands carrying monkeys and other small animals aloft for scientific research. These projects were well documented and none of these missiles landed near either of the two crash sites. Footnote. From September 1961 until March 1965, 12 Atlas-F Intercontinental Ballistic Missiles, ICBMs, were deployed by the 579th Strategic Missile Squadron in areas surrounding Walker Air Force Base, New Mexico. These missiles were determined not to have been involved in the Roswell incident. Aircraft Aircraft seem just as unlikely as missiles to have been responsible for the extraterrestrial claims as outlined in the profile, although additional research revealed the significant role dummies played in the test and evaluation of aircraft emergency escape systems. These dummies were used on board aircraft and on the high speed test track at Holloman Air Force Base. However, aircraft test flights demanded strict adherence to established flight profiles over the instrumented portions of the White Sands missile range, many miles from the alleged crash sites. Dummies used on the high-speed track remained in the immediate vicinity of the track facilities at Holloman Air Force Base. This geographical impossibility ruled out dummies that were ejected from aircraft and those used on the high-speed track as a cause of alleged alien sightings. Aircraft accidents will be discussed extensively in Section 2 of this report. High-Altitude Research Balloons The only vehicles not yet evaluated as a possible source of the accounts were high-altitude research balloons. Previous reviews of early research balloon flight records revealed that trajectories of high-altitude balloons were, at times, unpredictable and did not usually remain over Holloman Air Force Base or White Sands Missile Range. Many of the scientific payloads required recovery so the data collected during flight could be returned to the laboratory for analysis. These characteristics seem to fit at least some of the research profile. Atmospheric sampling apparatus or weather instruments, the typical payload of many high-altitude balloons, could hardly have been mistaken for space aliens. A careful examination of the instruments carried aloft by the high-altitude balloons revealed that one unique project used a device that very likely could be mistaken for an alien, an anthropomorphic dummy. An anthropomorphic dummy is a human substitute equipped with a variety of instrumentation to measure effects of environments and situations deemed too hazardous for a human. These abstractly human dummies were first used in New Mexico in May 1950 and have been used on a continuous basis since that time. In the 1950s, anthropomorphic dummies were not widely exposed outside of scientific research circles and easily could have been mistaken for something they were not. Today, anthropomorphic dummies, better known as crash test dummies, are easily identifiable and are even the stars of their own automotive safety advertising campaign. During the 1950s, when the U.S. Air Force dropped the odd-looking test devices from high-altitude balloons in its program to study high-altitude human freefall characteristics, public awareness and stardom were decades away. It seems likely that someone who unexpectedly observed these dummies at a distance would believe they had seen something unusual. 
In retrospect, when interviewed over 40 years later, they could accurately report that they had seen something very unusual. With the introduction of anthropomorphic dummies as a possible explanation for the reports of bodies, another element of the research profile appeared to be satisfied. Specific information that described the locations, methods, and procedures used to employ the dummies was required before any definitive conclusions could be drawn. To gather this detailed information, research efforts were concentrated on high-altitude balloon operations and the specific projects that utilize balloon-borne anthropomorphic dummies. Test Dummies Used by the U.S. Air Force Since the beginning of manned flight, designers have sought a substitute for the human body to test hazardous new equipment. Early devices used by the predecessors of the U.S. Air Force were simply constructed parachute drop test dummies with little similarity to the human form. Following World War II, aircraft emergency escape systems became increasingly sophisticated and engineers required a dummy with more human-like characteristics. Parachute Drop Dummies During World War I, research and development of the first U.S. military parachute was underway at McCook Field, Ohio. To test the parachute, engineers experimented with several types of dummies settling on a model constructed of three-inch hemp rope and sandbags with the approximate proportions of a medium-sized man. The new invention was soon known by the nickname Dummy Joe. Dummy Joe is said to have made more than 5,000 jumps between 1918 and 1924. By 1924, parachutes were required on military aircraft with their serviceability tested by dummies dropped from aircraft. For this routine testing, several types of dummies were used. The most common type is shown in figures 17 and 18. Parachutes were individually drop tested from aircraft until the early stages of World War II when due to both increased reliability and large numbers of parachutes in service, this routine practice was discontinued. Nonetheless, test dummies were still used frequently by the Parachute Branch of Air Material Command AMC, at Wright Field, Ohio, to test new parachute designs. Anthropomorphic Dummies The ejection seat had been developed and used successfully by the German Luftwaffe during the later stages of World War II. The utility of this invention was realized when the U.S. Army Air Forces obtained an ejection seat in 1944. To properly test the ejection seat, the Army Air Forces required a dummy that had the same center of gravity and weight distribution as a human, characteristics that parachute drop dummies did not possess. In 1944, the U.S. Army Air Force Air Material Command contracted with the Ted Smith Company of Upper Darby, Pennsylvania to design and manufacture the first dummy intended to accurately represent a human. The dummy had the same basic shape as a human, but with only abstract human features and skin made of canvas. In 1949, the U.S. Air Force Aeromedical Laboratory submitted a proposal for an improved model of the anthropomorphic dummy. This request was originated by the renowned Air Force scientist and physician John P. Stapp, now a retired colonel who conducted a series of landmark experiments at Muroc, now Edwards, Air Force Base, California, to measure the effects of acceleration and deceleration during high-speed aircraft ejections. Stapp required a dummy that had the same center of gravity and articulation as a human, but, unlike the Ted Smith dummy, 
was more human in appearance. A more accurate external appearance was required to provide for the proper fit of helmets, oxygen masks, and other equipment used during the tests. Stapp requested the anthropology branch of the Aeromedical Laboratory at Wright Field to review anthropological, orthopedic, and engineering literature to prepare specifications for the new dummy. Plaster casts of the torso, legs, and arms of an Air Force pilot were also taken to assure accuracy. The result was a proposed dummy that stood 72 inches tall, weighed 200 pounds, had provisions for mounting instrumentation, and could withstand up to 100 times the force of gravity, or 100 Gs. In 1949, a contract was awarded to Sierra Engineering Company of Sierra Madre, California, and deliveries began in 1950. This dummy quickly became known as Sierra Sam. In 1952, a contract for anthropomorphic dummies was awarded to Alderson Research Laboratories Incorporated of New York City. Dummies constructed by both companies possess the same basic characteristics, a skeleton of aluminum or steel, latex or plastic skin, a cast aluminum skull, and an instrument cavity in the torso and head for the mounting of strain gauges, accelerometers, transducers, and rate gyros. Models used by the Air Force were primarily parachute drop and ejection seat versions with center of gravity tolerances within one quarter inch. Over the next several years, the two companies improved and redesigned internal structures and instrumentation, but the basic external appearance of the dummies remained relatively constant from the mid-1950s to the late 1960s. Dummies of these types were most likely the aliens associated with the Roswell incident. End of section one. Recording by Aaron Bennett.